Another download of Bass Edge Radio. That's right, Bass Edge Radio. As always, by our premier partners, MegaWare Keel Guard. Protect your boat from grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps. Visit them at keelguard.com. Aaron, it's still cold outside for most of the U.S., but I feel like we're turning the corner. I had to cut the grass the other day here in Del Rio, Texas, because the weeds were getting long. But uh, I tell you what, there's a lot of cool things we got going on today in Bass Edge Radio. Let's get this thing on the road. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Aaron, I tell you what, it's great to be back for another episode of Bass Edge. But I, I got to be honest, we start off today with a, a little bit of heavy heart. Just a few short weeks ago, we lost a great angler in the bass fishing community, and that was Ken Cook. I was able to get some news, and I wanted to bring this up first because, you know, again, Bass Blaster always bringing the latest, most up-to-date news out there. If you're not a member of BassBlaster.com, be sure to email BassBlaster at BassGold.com. Get all of the latest email updates about what's going on in the fishing industry and a lot of great click-throughs for stories. But one of the stories that was recently posted by Jay Kumar was a story about Ken Cook and how he recently tragically passed unexpectedly died of a heart attack. And uh, man, I just got to send out thoughts and prayers to the Cook family. And uh, although it's been, you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago that this all went down, still with heavy hearts, Bass Fishing lost a great guy with huge passion for the outdoors. And certainly, Kurt, I think you and most would agree that he's really one of the reasons of why we're even able to sit here and have these type of discussions is because, you know, Godfather, right? He's one of the originators when I think back to just kind of my time of getting involved in the sport really helped the sport to become what it was and you know talking about not only just a great person for the sport but just a great person in general even outside of the fishing world yeah ken cook brought to the sport some of the early educational formats you know ken was a uh, fisheries biologist and uh, went to oklahoma state university worked for i think the state of oklahoma in that you know realm as far as doing fisheries biology and stuff like that and when he started 
started tournament fishing when Ken Cook talked, people listened because he was able to relate studies and educational things as far as biology of fish to what we were seeing out there on the water with our crankbaits, plastic worms, different weather conditions, and really started what I think was the pioneering of putting those elements together as far as being able to relate and catch more fish. So, uh, man, big loss for the fishing industry, but Ken was a great guy. We're going to see him on the other side. He was a fantastic man. As you said, great passion for the sport. And um, I don't know what else to say. We could go on all day and talk about Ken and what a great guy he was. But Well, certainly, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about Bass Blaster and, and that as thankful as what I am for that. Those are never the pieces of news that you want to see come across. But um, yeah, I, I mean, just hats off to him for a life well lived. And, and certainly, yeah. like you said, Kurt, thoughts and prayers go out to the family. And, and one of his favorite times of year is really the time of year that we're going into, which is kind of That's that right. pre-spawn because all that science that he studied really started kind of in that general area. So speaking of the pre-spawn, Kurt, what is kind of your definition of pre-spawn? Because, you know, when you look at the United States, obviously it starts right in the south and then works its way north several right. months later. So maybe kind of what we do is break it down, what it is, where to look and, and what are we throwing? Yeah, well, i tell you what, Aaron, I recently fished a team tournament down here at Amistad and seeing some of these fish, they're gorging out there, but these fish are really starting to get fat already. And this time of year, that pre-spawn, late winter time of year is really the time when you're going to catch your largest fish. Not necessarily just because the fish are longer, but just because they're fatter, they're bigger. And that's why that chance to catch that 10 pounder or eight pounder or six pounder, depending on where you live in the country, always comes in that earlier part of the year in that pre-spawn stage. Right now, what we're looking for is uh, still mostly some winter patterns, but that transition starts to begin right now, that first part of February. You get a couple of warmer days down here in the south because we're really waiting for the water to cool down some, and then just a slight rebound gets those fish moving into the shallows and really start thinking about and developing the biological nature of a pre-spawn bass, which is developing eggs and all those types of things. So um, we've been catching them deep here at Lake Amistad. I think a lot of places you're going to be catching them deep. I went out to Okeechobee and checked out that place, did a little pre-practice for the FLW Tour event, and a lot of those fish, real fat, real big. Of course, they're shallower over there, but still, in relation, it's pre-spawn. Instead of catching fish up in there in that two, three-foot of water zone, they were more out in that four, five-foot of water zone for some of those bigger bass. Doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when Lake Okeechobee is depth 10 feet in the middle, two foot is a big difference down there. So here at Amistad, I'm sure like up your lakes at Table Rock and uh, Bull Shoals and, and kind of that middle section of the country, Kentucky Lake, those fish are, are uh, outside kind of sitting on some of that deeper stuff and they're going to start that migration as these days get longer and uh, it's a great time of year to use finesse tactics, power presentations. It's really a uh, time of year when you can concentrate on your strengths, but the key is you must be versatile because if you're not getting bites, you've got to be able to change up quickly because either one, the fish are in that transition stage and starting to move, or two, they've fallen back because maybe we've had a slight cold front or something. You got to go from power techniques to some more finesse techniques just because the water is still cold and those fish might not be moving as quickly as they would in warmer water conditions. So their metabolism rate is a little bit 
slower. So uh, a lot of things and, and ways that we can make fishing successful in this pre-spawn time of year. Most importantly, good time to catch a big one. I second that and then certainly one of my favorite times of year. You know, I'm kind of a big pre-spawn, post-spawn guy. I guess it's probably because I never was really that good at actually fishing, or, you know, right in the center of the spawn. But right. coming out of the winter and looking at more vertical structure where the fish don't necessarily have to swim a long ways laterally, but they can just move up and down as those conditions change, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's really kind of, think of it like a rest area, right? Along an interstate, those are put at, at various locations where people are going on their way to get to their final destination and then turn around and come back the other way. So a lot of those places, keep in mind that you're catching them in pre-spawn, maybe on this vertical structure, deep being a relative term like what you brought up, those are the very same places that you're going to be able to go back on post-spawn and duplicate the same system. The only difference is they're just going to weigh a lot less. <laughs> uh, right, right. But, you know, I, I think I, I agree with what you're saying. I think also keep in mind water temperature has a big movement in that with those days getting longer and that can just all of a sudden cause those fish to move right in and uh, you don't even know what happens so remember to keep that kind of in the back of your mind as far as along those highways and those traffic ways maybe a secondary point to add on to what I'm going to be throwing is I I really like uh, in addition to what you said a grub or a swim bait because of the area that I'm fishing. Maybe it's above a tree line, a suspended tree line, right? Where those fish are just hanging out, getting ready, waiting for those conditions to turn right and move. Yeah, those are all great tips again, Aaron. I mean, that's why I think this time of year is so fun. It's it's real versatile. If you're a shallow water guy, you can start trying to intercept those uh, shallow water fish pretty early in the year. You hear all the time, you know, North Texas is like at Lake Fork where there's good vegetation or uh, Lake Gunnersville, um, any, any of those lakes with a lot of vegetation, even early, early in the year, like right now, getting up there with those uh, lipless crankbaits and vibrating lures. If you're that shallow water specialist or you know, I, I like to drop shot and, you know, at 22 and a half pounds in that team tournament here recently. And that was all deep 30 to 40 feet and uh, those fish coming out. So fun time of year to fish. Make sure you get out there. Make sure you check out all of our podcasts because we've got so much information on pre-spawn. Typically, you can look at the time of year that those podcasts were uh, taped and, um, you know, again, revert to some of those older podcasts with the tactics and techniques that some of the other pros uh, feel like are really successful for this time of year and some of those contours and things like that that you need to check out. Aaron, before we get into uh, our Angler Spotlight interview, I got to say, again, check out that new website, all you listeners. We're adding different things to it all the time. We've got a few notes in there and a few stories, uh, some stories that we had before, some new stories that we now have, but it's a little bit more interactive. You can send those O'Reilly Auto Parts listener questions in through the website, an easy click-through button there. Also have some uh, links. So if you want to sign up for Bass Blaster, you can uh, click through through our, our link there on the site. I mean, just a lot of fun stuff going on here at Bass Edge Radio. For sure. And, and certainly, uh, evidently, the new website is working because I also noticed a, a huge uh, uptick in some of the uh, videos and educational products that's out there. So again, great source of information. But you know, you brought up versatility earlier in your conversation with regards to pre-spawn. And today's guest, uh, I, I'm not quite sure, you know, when you think of versatility or you think about seasoned anglers, Kurt, that generally is assigned with people that's old like you you and I, but this particular individual, <laughs> you know, he's one of the young guns and rookie of the year and certainly a resume that uh, is quite lengthy. So instead of talking about it, you and I, let's go see what he has to say approaching the topic, not only of coming up into the pre-spawn, but also on the topic of versatility. We'll be right back with this week's Angler Spotlight. 
two fishermen came together with one agenda, to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish, with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat, we're building a legend. Legend Boats. Well, folks, the angler we have today in our spotlight segment was probably the best rookie to come onto the pro fishing scene in 2015. A big bass edge welcome to Zach Burge. Welcome to the show, Zach. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me. Zach, you know, reading through your accomplishments, you've really begun to rack up some nice awards over the past four years, and the train, quite honestly, keeps rolling. I mean, really on all levels, 2012 Bassmaster College National Champion, then the 2014 FLW Series Champ, and and a 2015 BFL win to cap it off last year with a top 10 in the FLW Cup and FLW Rookie of the Year honors. I mean, I said it once, but good night. That's pretty stout. What in the world is next? Coming off of the college championship and rolling momentum into, you know, Rayovacs, where I was fortunate enough to have a win there. Momentum is key, and I try my best just to keep going with it and not, not think too much on it and just get by day by day. So next, coming into 2016, got to follow up Rookie of the Year. You only get one shot at Rookie of the Year. I tried my best to fulfill that, you know, and then coming into this year, my goals are angler of the year. I'm not going to get a big head about it or say, yeah, I'm going to get it. It's just a goal. You know, I've got plenty of time and several years to try to accomplish that, but it's a good goal if I can keep my momentum. If I can accomplish that, it'll really be a statement. I had several good finishes last year. I had an opportunity to win one that I let slip away. You know, just from that, I'm pretty confident. I think it could be a great year coming up. That's awesome, man. It sounds like you're off to a great start. Hopefully this year you keep that momentum rolling let's talk a little bit directly to the generation i would say kind of you represent there's a lot of young guys that are doing really well in the pro fishing realm how does exactly all that work i've got a nephew that's getting ready to go to college he loves high school fishing he's big into that he loves the fishing game you know but it's not easy you know having a boat in college and all those kinds of things can be tough there's a lot of challenges to really kind of get the college thing going and then be able to do what you've done what kind of advice can you give those up in coming anglers the best advice i can say is you know you got to think about it you're in college you're getting to fish free entry feed tournaments and you're probably in part of the best times of your life you just need to sit back and enjoy it there's a lot of financial things that go on in college and i know having a boat is a struggle and getting to and from events and you know these guys are trying to make it possible for all these college kids to make it to each event and try to get them funding and stuff like that but when i was in college i was fortunate enough to have a boat and the way our school did it was if we cashed a check, we got reimbursed for everything. Oh, nice. So my partner and I, we took that in consideration and put all of our effort into it. We did it like I do it right now. I mean, I put a lot of work into it and try our best to cash a check. That way, when we came home, we'd get our money back and we could use it as a free trip, a learning experience, and you know, still got to travel across the country in college and fish, which was cool. But if we weren't able to get reimbursed, we'd have never been able to do it. I'd have been broke. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that going on out there, even outside of the college realm. So everybody 
everybody can kind of equate to what you're saying there. So you were able to move through college, obviously had a huge success. Aaron mentioned it earlier, you won the college national championship in 2012. Kind of a tough deal there where you win the championship, but yet don't get the classic berth because of the way they have that kind of set up. But at any rate, you proved that you were one of the guys to look out for and then able to ride that success. So did you graduate school, kind of get a job and then work on being able to move to the next level? How did that work out for you? I graduated in December of 12 and I went to work for Weatherford International, an oil field service company. I was working for them for a little while and uh, that was a couple hours from home. So I actually was offered a job with a wind turbine company, what I went to school for right here in my hometown pretty much. So I started working there about two years after I graduated and I'd been fishing the Rayback Championship, which I was fortunate enough to win one. And then the funny thing is, right before I went to that Rayovac championship, I had to sit down with my boss and I laid out the 2015 FOW tour schedule because that's what I'd planned on fishing. Right. I wasn't sure I was going to pay for it yet, but I'd qualified through the Rayovac series and made the top 10 in points, so I decided to fish them. We had to sit down and I laid out you know, my schedule and where I needed to be and what the, basically the maximum, minimum days I could get by with. And he looked me in the eye and he said, I can't do it. So I just continued to work for about another week and I was fairly new to to the job so I was trying to prove myself still and so I was out there busting my tail every day and he pulled me beside one day before we left and he said you know we offer a thing to where you can buy a week of vacation and you know that should give you about 19 days off and you know I went home and I sat down and I wrote it all down and you know I just wasn't quite going to be able to make it work I needed about 25 to 30 to really justify it and still keep the job so I told him I appreciate him trying to work with me and you know I just couldn't do it right now I was young I felt like I could go back to work and work the rest of my life if I had to right 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 Um, so I if I missed out on an opportunity now, I would be second-guessing myself the rest of my life. I went ahead and left that job, and when I did, the next week I won the Rayovac Championship and funded my year this year. Well, that's certainly a, a tremendous approach, and you know, I think one of the things that, that you bring out there that all successful people do is that they're able to, regardless of the success, they're able to look back and say, okay, you know, here's some things that I could do to improve or, or kind of evaluate where they've been thus far and then try and improve on any deficiencies. And, you know, I guess that would be a question I would pose you, what are some of the things that you weren't prepared for, perhaps, as you began on your rookie season on the FLW Tour that you wish you would have known that you kind of know now? Now, I can't really say that there's a whole lot. I will say this. I wouldn't talk so much after a good day of fishing. That'd be my one and only thing because it bit me in the tail at Smith Lake. I was like in third place the first day and I was leading day two and three and they were giving me interviews and I was being straightforward and and basically telling them everything in detail, not thinking about it, just enjoying the moment. and Right, right. Uh, talking about the day. Yeah. <laughs> talking about the day. And little did I know that they put those little clips on his website for everybody to see each night and everybody watched it. Therefore, everybody knew what I was doing and where I was at. So that's, a few people uh, took advantage of that. That's pretty interesting. That's Obviously, it you know, it's tough if somebody comes in and kind of encroaches, as you might say. But uh, I tell you what, you know, fishing the Elite Series the last several years, there's, there's a lot of media as well with that tour and um, you know they're doing pictures and they're posting photo galleries and blogs and all kinds of stuff and every guy that I know that fishes the Elite Series generally they're taking a look at some of that stuff every night just to see if they can get a little bit of edge and that's the yep. one thing about professional fishing that a lot of people don't really quite get and that is when you're out there playing this game you're trying to get every possible edge that you can that's within the realm of the rules and that really takes 
takes precedence to what you were talking about right there is if you're not paying attention, either getting baits out of the uh, photos or stuff like that, then it can yeah. come back and burn you on a week because everything is so now these days. I mean, Facebook posts or social media, which by the way, Zach, you do a great job of if no one's followed, you know, Zach on Facebook and that kind of stuff, he tears it up out there, really keeps everybody up to date. But it's cool to watch all that stuff and see how that plays into an event. Yeah, that's something I didn't know. I didn't think too much about being a rookie, and it's something I do know well now. But you're exactly right. Everybody looks for every advantage they can get, and every little small advantage you can have over your competition helps. You nailed it right there with that. Yeah, it's a tough deal. I tell you what, you know, in some of the early interviews, kind of leading up to today's show, I was doing some research, obviously, which I try to do for everybody, but knew about you, and I got a couple buddies that are friends with you and said you're a great guy, so I wanted to have you on the show. I started looking at some techniques that you grew up throwing and kind kind of seemed like you were um, relying on those. And that was finesse presentation, not necessarily, you know, like drop shot or shaky head, but small lures, power fishing. How do you feel that has shaped your angling strategies today? It's just allowed me to put numbers in the boat. It's just my strength. I go out and I try to catch as many fish in basically eight hours that I can catch. If I can catch 30 or 40 fish, chances are I'm going to have a better opportunity of catching a big fish throughout the day versus trying to catch five fish. So that being said, I just bust my tail and try to catch as many in one day as I can. And, and that's how you do it is with small baits, finesse stuff. I cover a ton of water and I throw smaller baits than most people do. And I downsize my line a lot, uh, a lot smaller than a lot of other people. It can bite me in the tail sometimes, though, when you do stick a giant and, you know, you really got to play them out. A lot of times you lose them. A lot of times they'll get you wrapped up on something you'll break off. Or if you'd had, you know, 17 or 20 pound test on, you might not have done it. Right. To take that a step further, when, when talking about and that strategy obviously is working for you, but when talking about lures and being able to generate bites you know there's so many times anglers hit the lake and come back with very little to show and here you're talking about you're trying to catch as many as what you can in kind of that 30 to 40 range per day if you could advise someone sure. three lures that they should use for simply putting fish in the boat in your opinion what would those be i'd say a good quarter ounce spinnerbait you know something shad related or chartreuse and white something like that a small square bill a 1.5 is probably a good all-around size a lot of people throw that though and a shaky head anybody can take a shake head out there and catch fish four to six inch finesse worm green pumpkin watermelon seed or something like that I, you're going to catch fish no matter where you are in the country it seems like those three baits are, are pretty good to do it about anywhere that's great advice right there zach i tell you what there's so many people that go out there and struggle just putting fish in the boat and a lot of times the difference between you know a three ace or half ounce blade and, and a quarter ounce blade like you talk about can make a huge difference one in the number of fish you put in your boat but secondarily makes a huge difference in that confidence level two. Once you start catching a few fish, again, you talked about momentum earlier, you kind of start getting that catching fish momentum rolling. And generally it can kind of really lead into some good times out there on the water. I tell you what, guys, it's time to take a pause for a moment and take a quick breather. Bass Edge Radio will be right back with Zach Burge. Eventually, it's going to happen. You'll turn the key and your engine won't start. Don't lose your ability to get around. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts for a super start battery. Whether it's a reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, you'll find it at an everyday low price. Don't let a dead battery slow you down. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Last Edge returns with FLW Tour angler Zach Burge in our Angler Spotlight that is brought to you by MegaWare Keelguard. Be sure to protect your boat from harmful rocks and road debris. Visit them at keelguard.com. Well, Zach, perusing some of your social media pages and hearing some gunshot back there in the background, it's pretty obvious that hunting is a big deal for you in the fall and here in the in the early winter parts. What are your favorite hunts you enjoy in the off-season, bud? <laughs> I tried to sneak away before gunshots went off, but man, I, I'm a big time duck hunter. That's basically all I do during the fall and winter from the time season opens to the time it closes. You know, I'm out here mostly all around Oklahoma about every day chasing ducks and geese. So is that something like you do some guiding or is it just, you know, kind of out enjoying the outdoors or? Well, I don't really do much guiding. I do take a few guys from out of town, but it's mostly friends and family. I'll take them. I enjoy going out with buddies and having a good time and relaxing and, you know, doing that kind of stuff rather than, you know, taking four or five guys and stressing out about getting everything right, making sure they have a good hunt, making sure everybody's safe. Um, right. You know, usually if my family or mostly my cousin, if he refers somebody to me that wants to come hunt, I can pretty much trust his word and know that they're a seasoned hunter and, you know, I don't really have to stress out too much about it. Well, post-migration then, Zach, and, and when the season's over and you return to fishing, how will you work to kind of stay competitive on some of the lakes that you have not yet visited before that are on this year's FLW tour schedule? Yeah, I mean, mostly what I do is, especially places that I haven't been to before or places that I'm not going to get a chance to go fish until official practice starts, uh, maps, maps and maps. And, you know, I, I watch my electronics. I'll sit in the garage and play my electronics and go over the body of water, you know, get paper maps and compare I'll read and scour the internet, that kind of stuff. Like we said earlier, every piece of advantage that you can gain over the other guys will help you in some form or fashion. So reading those maps and really studying them, you'll know what to look for when you actually get on the body of water and you've kind of got an idea how it lays out ahead of time. So are you a big pre-practice guy? You like to get out there and look at lakes before the off-limits period or you kind of more of kind of do your research at home and get out there and, and make it happen just in the official practice days? Yeah, I'm not a big pre-practice guy and a lot of that comes with i enjoy my fall and winter so much hunting that i don't take the time to go run around and go to all these places that i'm going to turn around and go back to all of them again a second time i just kind of study at home basically like your kid that's going to elementary middle school you know study at home before you go take the test i study at home before <laughs> right. i go to the body water and try to win some money that's cool well one of your wins last year was uh the bfl event up there on grand lake you had almost 30 pounds dude giant bag for grand obviously conditions last year a lot different than what seems to be coming up for the uh, Bassmasters Classic here in March, uh, you know, just one month away. Your home state, a uh, body of water you're familiar with. Let's hear what you think might be the winning strategies and two anglers you feel like will finish in the top five. Normally, and, and this goes a lot on the weather. When you think about Oklahoma, you think of crazy weather and it changes day by day and every five minutes it seems like something's different. But that's going to play a major role in how it sets up. We've had a lot of flooding this year. Um, basically all spring and summer, we had a lot of water and there's been more water running through Grand Lake than I can ever remember. Uh, which I'm sure is going to change it up somehow. But traditionally, if we can have a semi-mild late winter into early spring, you're going to have a really good jerkbait bite. I've witnessed it. I've won quite a bit of money there on a jerkbait in the spring, usually around that same time as the Classic, uh, maybe just a, a week or so later. I've seen a big jig work real good. I think that's how Cliff caught some of his fish there at the Classic a couple years ago. And believe it or not, a lot of people still don't believe me. I caught my 30-pound bag on a rattle trap 
a quarter ounce rattle trap. Small you bait know, genius, once again, yeah. <laughs> exploit that small bait, yeah. You wouldn't believe it either because the bait fish that were in that pocket I was catching were about the size of your hand, yet these big six-pound bass were taking that quarter ounce trap into the crushers. It was, it was just unreal. One day I'll never forget, but that's just something else that these guys can look out for is, you know, a pocket with some warmer water, the bait fish will be in there, and those big pre-spawn females will be in there eating. They, they gorge themselves. You know, if you can find the right situation, that's how you can do it. I'm going to say my two picks will be Justin Lucas. I'm going to go ahead and say Iconelli again. I think he did real well last time. He's about due again. So those are my two picks. Well, Zach, um, I tell you what, we got a segment of the show kind of wrapping things up here a little bit, but uh, it's the O'Reilly Auto Parts Better Parts, Better Prices Every Day Listener Question segment. We're going to ask you a question that was sent in by a listener. Today's question comes from Aaron Finney. He actually sent that in through our Facebook page. And Aaron asks, I catch the majority of my fish using soft plastics and top water. What's the best way to start catching crankbait fish? And how long should I stay with a crankbait before changing? That's a good question. And that's something that we see practicing for each event. Basically, every day we, we're switching up, picking up different rods, trying different things. Basically, my rule of thumb is if I pick up a crankbait and let's just say I start out with a square bill, I'll throw it for 15 minutes or so. If I don't get a bite, I'll generally try like a little bit deeper dive in one or I'll move out a little bit. You're just basically fishing the water column. But I only usually give it about 15 minutes and I'll change up. That could be color. That could be, you know, depth range, something like that. If you're catching fish on plastics, like say a shaky head in 10 to 12 foot, then I'm going to throw a, a crankbait that'll generally get down to that same depth where you're getting your bites from and just see if you might catch bigger fish on crankbait or you might make them react to it better you know something like that that's just my rule of thumb is about 15 minutes sometimes maybe not that long but that's what i would do hey zach quickly too you brought up earlier in the conversation concerning line size what's the best line size that you think to throw your general crankbaits on i usually throw mine on and I, like i said earlier i go on the light side i'll usually won't go any heavier than 15 usually 10 pound and 12 pound across the board unless i'm throwing like something that's going to dive down there to 20 plus I'll, I'll usually bump up to some 15 just because any advantages using fluorocarbon versus mono what do you like in those situations and and when would you use one versus the other i always throw on fluorocarbon and i usually use a more limber rod than normally in the past i've thrown just say like a medium heavy rod with some 10 pound mono and i still get that little bit of stretch and give whereas now i throw like a medium lighter a medium rod but with fluoro so there's basically no stretch there but i've got a softer rod to me i just feel a little better and i can feel those real subtle bites when they just come up behind and just barely make it well zach thanks for answering aaron finney's question aaron be sure to send us an email at support at bassedge.com or certainly go to bassedge.com and click claim your prize there in the listener question segment to let us know that you heard your question answered by Zach here on the show and we will certainly get out your O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And always a reminder, Bass Edge listeners send in those questions to win that O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card to our email support at BassEdge.com or leave us a comment like Aaron Finney did on our Facebook page or Twitter handle. Well Zach, hey, it was great to have you on this episode of Bass Edge. Any closing thoughts before you get back to uh shooting some ducks oh man i just appreciate you guys having me on and i and i enjoyed it i'm gonna slip back out here and try to shoot me some more ducks that's awesome dude enjoy it out there i look forward to seeing you in just a few days really on the big o to kick off the 2016 flw tour season bass edge returns after this message 
Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Bass Edge Nation, we have more or less a special report to give you today. We've got Keith Combs with us. Keith has a new program that he's coming out with called the Electronic Edge. I felt like it would be a huge disservice if we didn't provide you this information. Keith, tell Bass Edge Nation a little bit about what you're doing in the Electronic Edge class. Yeah, Kurt. I mean, this is a new deal that we just kind of came up with throughout the offseason. I've been working on it for really the last year and a half. But what it is, is uh, it's a series of classes that I'm doing and it's just to teach a fisherman, no matter really what level of skill he is, how to better use his electronics. And it's in a classroom environment. We have a conference room set up for every class, and it's just a PowerPoint presentation kind of compiled of screenshots that I've taken throughout the years, mapping shots that I thought would be interesting. And uh, we just break down different types of reservoirs by seasons. It's a really in-depth class. It's about a four-hour class. has a lunch session with question and answer, and then a question and answer session at the end of the class. So uh, it's just a really good way for a guy just to boost his knowledge of electronics in a very short period of time. Well, Keith, I think all of us agree, the three of us here, certainly that, you know, no matter how much time that we spend with our electronics, there's always more to learn, right? It's just given the rapid pace of which this technology has kind of evolved over the last several years, and certainly that doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. So, you know, from what I'm gathering is if somebody was to ask me, well, who needs to be in this class? It really applies to all of us. I don't care if you're just starting out and maybe purchasing your first electronic unit or fishing out perhaps out of the back of somebody else's boat all the way up to somebody like Kurt or myself whom use this stuff on a regular basis chances are we haven't even begun to tap into the capabilities of what our electronics can do oh absolutely I agree with that hundred percent and in the class we really tried to um, set it up for guys of all levels and I'm still learning like constantly I'm learning stuff about uh, new products but we look at everything from basic setup to actually interpreting screenshots, you know, how do you break down types of shad? How do you identify species? You know, what do bass look like when they're feeding versus non-feeding? We look at that and then we take it and break it down by season also. So it's a lot of information, but it's true to life. It's the way that I go out on a new lake and I approach it. And, you know, a lot of times I'm using my electronics to get a game plan together before I ever hit the lake. And that's what I really try to uh, reinforce in this class. All right. Well, here's the class dates for everybody. There's one actually coming up very soon, February 6th and 7th. That class is going to be in Lufkin, Texas. Then Keith will be having classes July 30 and 31 in Belton, Texas, August 27 and 28 in Emory, Texas, October 1 and 2 in Conroe, Texas, October 22nd and 23rd in Dallas, and then uh, headed back to Lufkin for the final class in 2016, November 12th and 13th. Make sure you go to Keith's website, The Electronic edge.com and uh, learn all the details about this class. Keith, this sounds like a great opportunity. Appreciate you being here with us today on Bass Edge to uh, let everybody know about these great classes that you're going to be having here in 2016. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. This is Bass Elite Angler 
Fabian Rodriguez, and you're dialed in on Bass Edge Radio. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Tremendous interview. Enjoyed listening to and really, quite honestly, getting to know Zach. Um, you know, talking about a guy that that has it going on and, and just very mature, I think, in his fishing level. And one question, I guess, Kurt, that I have for you that he brought up that seems to be working well, but does size really matter? But keep in mind, we are PG-13. <laughs> well, certainly it does in bass fishing. That, that's a matter of fact. And uh, I think what's really cool about what Zach's talking about and, and kind of part of our discussion there was the um, smaller lures. You know, he likes getting more bites. You know, there's so many times in either tournament competition that we hear about bigger baits, bigger fish, you know, to win events or this, that, and the other. You got to get five big ones. And his approach is catch as many as you can. The big ones are going to come. And and I think that's a great approach for we weekend anglers as well, because let's face it, going out there, you working all week and getting four or five bites or eight bites, it's just not that fun over an eight hour period. It's a lot more fun to catch 30 or 40 fish. And uh, that's kind of Zach's approach to fishing. And it's actually pretty refreshing as well, far Kurt, as I'm did, concerned. Too, don't you think, I mean, here, here's what I've noticed just at the lower levels that I've fished in and competed in is that, that does two things by getting more bites and getting more fish in the boat, the confidence, right? Okay. So it's not that, like you said, that hitting those doldrums right where you're going and you mentally become detached and therefore when you do that and you disengage a lot of times the bite or so that you may get you might miss just because your head's not in the game but secondly I can tell you from my experience that those that are fishing like a circuit whether it's a team trail or an individual trail getting five in the boat especially for multi-day events every day you go out there you do that day in day out every day for the course of that season you're going to be at the top when it comes to the angler of the year you may not win angler of the year but you're certainly going to position yourself in contention just through proving that consistency throughout the course of that year would you agree or disagree i would definitely agree with that and and part of the reason i think that that occurs that way is because when you're getting lots of bites or several bites or you can put a limit you know a five fish limit or three fish limit depending on what you're doing in the boat earlier in the day it really frees you up you feel it internally and i think you'll see it externally Internally in the way that you fish. You know, if you're continuing to have the pressure of putting the pedal down because you need bites and it's later on in the day, say 12, 1, 2 o'clock where the tournament is kind of winding down. And if you can just get those bites earlier in the day and have a limit at, you know, nine or so, then um, it really opens up the day and opens up your mind, lets you fish more freely, lets you fish more as we hear all the time in the moment. And uh, I think that can lead to better success as far as just kind of of being free-flowing with the day and taking what it gives you. Yeah, good stuff. And speaking of opening up the day, it's time that 
we opened up our listeners day by letting them have their day back for what it is that uh, you guys are out there doing again thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of bass edge radio kurt and i would not be here without the support of you guys and certainly thanks to all of our sponsors for making this possible over the last eight years until next time i am aaron martin for kurt dove and the rest of the bass edge crew have a great week everybody and we will see you february 15th The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.